0: Remember the first time you
1: saw Rosemary's Baby? I want to say I was in my early 20s. I think I was out of college when I first saw it. But I I do remember being horrified at the gaslighting. <laughs> That's like my that was my biggest first impression of the movie.
0: Yeah, I think I saw it probably post college. I, I I it was this movie that was like infamous I, I didn't know what it was about really i just knew there was something to do with a baby being creepy <laughs> or something of that nature <laughs> <laughs> it was like the first movie i saw a horror movie that i saw where i felt being a woman was under serious attack i had i don't think i had seen um the stepford wives yet okay yeah and this was like my my first like wow women are
1: fucked in this movie <laughs> It's so relentless. It just like ramps up so quickly. And then it's two hours and 15 minutes of just nonstop gaslighting. And you just, you feel for Rosemary because it's so psychologically terrorizing. Like everyone around her is in this conspiracy and it just makes her feel crazy. And It reminds me of like the witch trials and it just like makes me feel like the way that people are able to demean or like push aside women is just to call them crazy. And like that's this whole movie. It's like, oh, you're just overreacting. You're paranoid. You're crazy. Everyone's telling her that.
0: Her doctor, her husband, he's supposed to be her best friend. They've just started this new life together and she's so alone and abandoned and i i just felt so bad for her the first time i watched it and i thought she's going to pull through at the end right like she's going to get away and the ending is it's not satisfying it's a good ending but it to me it did not feel satisfying
1: it's good but it's dark and it's i think for it's a, her. it's dark for her and i think it's a darker ending than you would expect from from this movie like I think that she's got these little moments throughout the movie of her friend Hutch and her you know girl like she does see her girlfriends like very briefly during the movie and you're like oh okay as soon as soon as other people get a little glimpse of her in her life who aren't involved in this conspiracy they want to get her out. They're like this isn't right. Like there's something wrong happening here. And so you're like, okay, she's getting vindication. Like she she's got all this validation from these external parties, so she will be able to escape and pull through. But yeah, that like last like little bit of the movie, like from the time that she gives birth to the end of the movie just goes so differently than I would have ever expected. Like I'm I'm I watched it again very recently for this episode and I was still surprised by how the ending ends up going, I always wonder what
0: she ends up doing after that. Does she stay with the the cultist, the Satanist, <sighs> or does she leave her husband and move on with her life? I don't know <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is a, a sequel, so this is based on a book, and the author of the book did write um, uh did write a follow up novel to Rosemary's. Have Baby. you read the books I haven't I have not, but I want to. I was watching um a uh, Criterion Collection uh interview uh with the producer of Rosemary's Baby as well as Mia Farrow and uh director Roman Polanski uh which we will get into. Uh <laughs> 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 And uh Roman Polanski was talking about how he was just so like captivated by the novel. Like it was really bringing him in. And so th- that actually made me want to read it and like see and see what the differences may or may not be. But I I,
0: I do kind of see the movie, I mean not that I've read the book, but I do see it as like its own thing. It's just it's the movie. I'm sure I'm sure the book sequel tells us what happens next in her life, but as far as the movie goes, I wonder what that
1: character is left with. Totally. I think that there may have been a movie, it might have been a made for TV movie sequel as well that was, um, really universally panned. Um, and then <laughs> shocker, of course. Right. And then a couple of years ago in 2018 or 2019, there was a, um, TV miniseries. Maybe it was just a couple episodes with, a uh, Zoe Saldana as, uh, Rosemary's baby. It was a remake. Oh, okay. Did, was that any good? Did
0: people I didn't like see,
1: that? I didn't see, I think the people thought it was okay. They, they, change some things around that the setting is in France instead of ma- Manhattan. I just like the original is so iconic. I don't know how you remake something like that. Uh, yeah, and is it necessary? I don't know.
0: <laughs> but I think we should get into a summary so that we can dig in because this movie has so
1: much to unpack. Okay, so a summary of this movie. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, it's about Rosemary Woodhouse and her new husband, Guy Woodhouse, an actor, have moved into a new, very large, very fancy apartment in Manhattan where they start to make acquaintances with their elderly neighbors and as Rosemary is pregnant and throughout her pregnancy, um, she becomes increasingly isolated and paranoid that there is something that her husband and her neighbors are keeping from her. This movie
0: has some controversy surrounding it I think because of Roman Polanski and
1: and a few other things. I know I think that everything that Roman Polanski has ever touched is going to have this particular controversy around it but this one I think does have like a an extra little like Zuz of flavor to it because of the subject matter of this movie, right? Like, a significant part of this movie is Rosemary getting raped by the devil fairly early on into the movie. Like, and it's not even and like. And then gaslit about it. And then gaslit about it. And this movie, I feel like, is so empathetic to her interiority right? Like this movie is so centered around Rosemary and her fear and like worry, but then also trying to like power through it because she wants to trust the people around her, right? And she wants this baby so bad. She is so
0: scared that it's dead or hurt, you know, that scene where she realizes it's still kicking. It's still alive. And and she's she looks like death Mm -hmm. but she is so happy that this thing is alive you know that's that's all she cares about this entire movie
1: it feels like it's mind-boggling to think that roman Polanski directed this movie Uh, i mean he he wrote the adaptation from the novel and directed it and is so much his vision uh and you know 9 years after this movie is released um, he of course was tried for drugging and raping a 13 year old girl with
0: everything happening around me too and times up it's it becomes harder and harder to justify why why should we watch this movie if uh, if this guy who's this, who's the heartbeat of it has done these things to women a 13 year old girl mm-hmm. And I just went on this crazy rabbit hole like I wanted to because I really didn't know what was what was up with him, like Mm -hmm. what the real story was. And man, it's it's really complicated, actually. One thing that I thought was really interesting was that I learned that in France, there is no age of consent. Mm hmm. There's no age of consent, but rape is kind of defined by the context basically. So if if it's something that you guys are consenting to or okay with even if you're a young, you know, a young person, you can still consent if the if you're not being coerced. Which I I think must have had an effect on Roman's perspective on this.
1: It must have there's a really great interview. Although she did say no, she said no. I was. That's exactly <laughs> where I was no. going to go. Is that Samantha Geimer um, did a really interesting interview that really colored my perspective on the story and how we look at uh, victimhood, right? And uh, she's very explicit in the interview that um, it was rape. That she was 13, yeah. and she said no. Her conception of rape, I think, is. I, and so much of me wonders if it's, like, generational or if it was just the right. time where she, she said that when she grew up, she thought that rape was someone intending to to hurt you or, like, defile you or demean you. Right. And she said, like, you know, Roman was arrogant and horny. Like, that li- line really stuck out to me. She was like, he was arrogant and horny, but he wanted – she was like, he wanted pleasure for himself and for her. And she was like, but it was rape because I was 13 and I said no. And she was like, but he didn't hurt me. like. He just did what he wanted to do. And then she has lived the rest of her life in this shadow, right, of this event that everyone is telling her needs to be a traumatic event that she is very not traumatized by. She's she's moved on from it for so many years at this point.
0: Yeah, she had this quote that I really liked that said, we need to eliminate the type of activism that requires damaged victims to operate Um, a kind of activism that glamorizes pain and shuns recovery and strength and offers no positive way to recover and move forward. And I found that so interesting and true because we all want this one-size-fits-all solution to many things in life. And it would be nice to classify everything so that we can make decision-making easier. But Mm -hmm. what she's saying is, you know, she's, she's moved on. She's dealt with it. He isn't hiding from the truth. She's not hiding from the truth. And she kind of just wants to move on and wants everyone else
1: to move on because it's over. I really appreciated her very nuanced thought around how she felt like in the Me Too movement that people were using her story without talking to her, right? Like people had this very neat, kind of like packaged narrative of. Roman Polanski drugging and raping her when she was 13 and this cabal of Hollywood celebrities like rallying around him but none of these interviewers actually talking to her to who is so like weird she's she's not old like she is she's, she's younger 60s, than my grandmother right yeah, yeah she's in her 60s like she is um yeah she's like still very much available to talk about these things she wrote a whole memoir about how um she doesn't agree with the way that we characterize what happened to her and if anyone ever asked her about it she would she would talk about it but but they don't because it makes the narrative messy and she knows that people don't like that. It's such a good parallel for this movie. No one's listening to her. <laughs> no one's actually listening to her. Yeah, because she's not the perfect rape victim um yeah. that we want, right? And it's it's hard like to to think about it I I liked that she she was very much in the camp of separating the art from the artist I tend to fall in that camp as well but it's it's tough because I think that we're so conditioned to just like flat out reject you know art from anyone who's unsavory but I was going through this morning and I was talking to Mike about all of the male artists that I could think of over the last like 50 years who like either like married or like had sex or relationships with girls who were under the age of 15 like and I was like yeah this is a lot like you've got Elvis and Steven Tyler and like right all, and you know every single member of Led Zeppelin like all of these guys were like you know taking 14 year old girls on tour with them and having sex with them and like that's also rape but we have not put them in the same category as Roman Polanski it's just a it's it's a weird cultural it's really hypocritical.
0: Yeah, and then you have idiots like Whoopi Goldberg who says something like, "Well, it's not rape, rape," on the View, as if that's even a thing.
1: Yeah, it's rape, <laughs> like, or it's, it's not
0: definitely rape. Yeah, like, I mean, he raped you know. <laughs> like, That's not up for debate. He even he admits this. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. I I feel like, I I feel like Hollywood does not know what to do with him.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, he was still making movies. He still had a lot of, um, yeah. a lot of people in Hollywood still really like him. I mean, and this and is, want to work with him. I know. And this is the thing I think about is like, okay, if you cancel one person, are you canceling everyone in their network? Because I think that his network is so broad that if you think about it, Kate Blanchett, um, really likes Roman Polanski and she named her son Roman after him. Like, and so are you going to just like, stop watching every Kate blanchett movie like she didn't rape a 13 year old i don't know like but at the same time i'm like yeah maybe you should like castigate them and like tell them like this isn't this isn't good we shouldn't be supporting this or like at least not naming our kids after a rapist like come on that is weird
0: (laughs) i think he gets i think he gets a lot of um, sympathy because he did survive a Jewish concentration camp and also his wife and unborn child were killed by the Manson family. And I think that gets talked about a lot as, as sort of like, oh, here's maybe why he's messed up or something, right? Like an excuse. Yeah. And it's not an excuse. It's
1: not because there were other people who were held in concentration camps <laughs> who don't go on to rape 13 year olds. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's we don't so need to complicated cloud this
0: issue anymore with that kind of stuff. It's not related. Yeah. The other weird thing that I found out was that in the 60s in France there was this weird period of time where pedophilia was considered more of a sexual orientation. And that yeah, like children needed to be given the same sexual rights. <laughs> as adults. And, and this passed after a time. But I also wonder if that's why he's cut slack. Like if, if people were just sort of like, oh, it's the time.
1: <laughs> that's May- how it was. Maybe. Pedophiles and, were like, cool. We weren't there. And I feel like at least in my right. like, perspective, like so much of the outrage, rightful outrage and discourse around it is all modern right? Like most of what I have read and, and learned about Roman Polanski was really in the last like 10 to 15 years. And like our conception of consent in the last 10 to 15 years has changed. Like, I feel like we're, we're still like evolving so quickly in terms of how we view sexual politics and coercion and consent. And uh, yeah, so it's, I feel like it's really hard for me and I wish that I could just say like black and white like this is how I feel about it and I'm like giving myself a pass to like watch all of his movies but I still have that like little sting of guilt when I like talk about Rosemary's Baby because I do love this movie so much but I always have to kind of like couch it by like oh yeah you know Roman Polanski, like what a dick but like Ro- Rosemary's Baby is so good. <laughs> how do you feel about watching this movie? I... I, I mean, I really like it. It's a really good movie, um, and I think <laughs> so that good. I think Mia Farrow is incredible on this movie. And so, I mean, I want to give Roman Polanski some credit because I think that the the writing is there. I think that the direction is really good, but I think that this movie is really built on Mia Farrow's back. Like, I don't think that this movie would have been anything close to to as good as it is without Mia Farrow. And so I, I like watching it and I try to characterize my like of the movie as being more Mia Farrow oriented than it is like Roman Polanski oriented. And it's funny cause he didn't even want her at first because she was so petite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like that's so part, like it's so it like integral. It makes it so much better. It's yeah, so much better because she just seems like she could be overpowered by a stiff breeze, you know, like she's just like she's (laughs) so dainty and fragile and just like this little bird of a woman. And you just want to like protect her. And instead like everyone around her is like, oh, she's perfect for taking advantage of like. Yeah. Yeah. She's sweet and small. She is. Yeah. I um,
0: You know, I bought this movie, so I'm going to keep watching it because I love it. I it's not like he can get any money out of me at this point. Um, But I think about this a lot when I'm watching movies where I know somebody has done something wrong. And it's, it's really funny because I have this aversion to Tom Cruise for divorcing Nicole Kidman and being like wacko. Right. Yeah. But for some reason, you know, but I, I can watch Rosemary's Baby. I can Mm -hmm. watch Seven. Seven is one of my favorite movies. Oh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these, these are works of art that I like. And I, I think I might just like them too much (laughs) to not ever watch them again. But I've also, I've also paid for them. It's done. I think it's okay to, I do think it's okay to appreciate art and not the person behind the art. Mm -hmm. Um, I I appreciate Roman Polanski, the director in this movie, but yeah, he raped somebody. He's a rapist. Mm Mm-hmm. I I don't
1: think he's a good person. I agree. I it was so drilled into me that for so long that you separate the art from the artist because otherwise all of the, you know, authors that we love from before nineteen fifty are just horrifically racist, right? Or sexist or homophobic. Like I don't think that that we should really give these authors or artists a pass um I don't no. I don't I don't think that it's helpful or beneficial for anyone to say like it was a different time because there were plenty of people in that time who suffered from it and mm-hmm. were not any of these is but I think that you can appreciate something and then acknowledge like the harm that m- might have been wrought from it and so Rosemary's Baby I mean it was filmed and it was done in Dustin you know, like we said like nine years before like like Roman Polanski yeah. like raped um Samantha um Geimer I think that that's like the biggest takeaway for me is just like this is a good movie made by a monster and so it's it's interesting to contextualize it like that Yeah and I think it is harder to pull
0: away from things once we've been exposed to them and and have a fondness or appreciation or nostalgia for them Now like going to the movies now I might be a little more hesitant right to go to certain mm-hmm. specific movies just depending on who's in it and sort of why I stay away from Tom Cruise movies I just don't watch them to begin with so I have no <laughs> nostalgia so that's easy right yeah I can't blame somebody for wanting to watch something or listen to something that they that they grew up loving what matters is that we try to be better hmm anyway I'm glad we got that out of the way.
1: Me too. Now, we never need to talk about Roman Polanski ever no, again on this po- podcast. God. So if we ever cover repulsion, we're just going to reference this episode. We're, yeah. Um, and <laughs> we'll just and, give and you not, guys a time to do stamp. it again. Exactly. <laughs> you talked a little bit about um, teeny tiny pixie of a woman, Mia Farrow. And I just want to talk about her cute little hair. <laughs> Yes. That's the other controversy with this movie is that damn haircut.
0: Oh my gosh. I love it. I, think I it's hate so it. Cute. You, of course you do. I, of course I hate it. Yeah. But I love that she does it. I love that she's like, nobody's listening to me. I feel crazy. I'm going to go get my haircut however I
1: damn want to. I, I love that she just like takes ownership of it. I feel like it's very like proto-women's lib, right? Like, she's just like, you know what? I'm cutting my hair off. It's stylish. And there's, like, there's this kind of undercurrent of style being a thing in this movie where, you know, she has her very traditional housewife hair, and then she cuts it all off. And she's like, this is a Vidal Sassoon haircut. Like, it's in style. She moves into this very, like, traditional apartment that's so, like, weirdly like 1800s feeling and she like paints all everything white and puts up this yellow wallpaper and it's very mod and chic and yeah and she gets like pissed at one point that all of their friends are old weird people so she's (laughs) like we're having a young person party and they're so like stylish and cool like she's like yeah so I just like love how like part of her resistance to like what's going on around her is to be like as avant-garde as possible. When she says
0: there's an age limit, the, uh, our neighbors aren't invited. Yes. <laughs> I thought that
1: was so funny.
0: I thought it was so funny too. <laughs> yeah. I love all the 60s stuff in this movie. I wrote down like so many notes about like the wallpaper or some dress that someone was wearing and um, like just the flowers and stuff everywhere. And she is so cute. This is Mia so Farrow, I think, at her cutest.
1: She's so cute. Like, I love her little cute bright maternity dresses, these like linen swing baby doll dresses with her big bump. And she's got these cute shoes. And she wears these big lashes. Like, she's just so cute. I know. I love her femininity. Like, yeah. I feel like there's all of this darkness encroaching in on her. And she's just like leaning so hard into the feminine aspects like even the opening credits are this like pink girlish script right it's like so right. over the top yeah she she starts out i mean actually she kind of stays
0: like this the whole movie she really just wants to be a a good wifey like she wants to be a good wifey and a good mommy and and she's so sweet about it and it's so sad to watch all of that being slowly like taken away from her she has like no reprieve in this movie god she is so sympathetic
1: it's really tragic there's so much dramatic irony i feel like watching this movie on repeat because her and her husband seem so in love at the beginning
0: yeah i love that opening scene where they're like just hanging out on the floor beautiful floors by the way they're eating
1: takeout
0: like on the floor because they just moved in and and I'm like, I remember that when I moved into my first apartment with my husband. And it's just, it's so fun and exciting and new. And and she goes, hey, let's make love. And then they take their clothes off in the most real and awkward way imaginable. Yes.
1: <laughs> so cute. I, you know, I was like, kind of like dumbstruck by like how real that scene felt. Because I was like, yeah, that's what it feels like when you've like just exactly. moved into a place. And like, yeah, it's kind of like awkward to like, strip (laughs) it's a very like domestic
0: way of going about having sex yes I think married people are very familiar with
1: yes I just like the domesticity of it is so like sweet and then they remind you that it's the 60s because she's a wife she doesn't have any job and she doesn't have any kids yet and so she just hangs out she just hangs hangs out out all day (laughs) yeah so, back to
0: this haircut, yes, because yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what got us down this line. Um so she starts the movie with like a shoulder length kind of bob, and she's got bangs, and she's very cute as we mm-hmm. as we talked about. And halfway through the movie, after she's tired of being gaslit, she lobs it all off and it's this tiny, like plastered to her head pixie cut um mm-hmm. that was apparently in fashion in vogue at the time, and her husband hates it, which is great. But there was some controversy around this because people thought she did it for the movie. People weren't sure if she did it specifically for the movie or not. Oh, okay. Did you ever consider that? Like, did you think that she cut her hair just for the movie? I assumed it was for the movie. Yeah. I I assumed so, too. I remember being shocked when she did it, when the first time I saw it, and I was like, why did she do that to her hair? Because <laughs> I hated it, <laughs> like I said. But um. It was actually something she did herself, like a year earlier. You can see in her oh. wedding photos to Frank Sinatra that
1: she had that pixie cut. She said she did it herself. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, you can tell you can tell her Bob um, haircut is a wig. Like it's a pretty yeah. like notice <laughs> it's a pretty noticeable wig. Uh, right. It's very cute, though. Um, but that's so funny that she just like cut it all off herself. I know that's such a Megan move. I cut my hair all
0: the time. yeah and so they flew in Vidal Sassoon to like fake this this uh haircut as a promo for the movie which I thought was kind of a cool way to like do some viral marketing back in the day (laughs) yeah what a
1: what a like funny thing I feel like every so many years like as like trends come in and out I feel like the Rosemary's Baby Mia Farrow like pixie cut like We'll end up on a list of of haircuts that people oh, yeah. should try. Uh, I I I had a Mia Farrow pixie cut in college. It was so short. It was so short, um, and I liked it. It felt very like punky um, and fun. But I felt like people thought that it was more brave than cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I met you, you had
0: a short. I thought your hair was, it was pixie. wasn't it? My hair was pretty short when we met too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I had generally kept my hair quite short for a long time. So it wasn't quite like the super cropped cut, but I'm a big fan of short hair. (laughs) I mean, I thought it looked good on you. Well, thanks. Maybe when I have a baby, I'll just start wearing these baby doll swing dresses and cut all my hair off too. Do it.
0: Yes. Apparently (laughs) when you're, when you're pregnant, your hair like doesn't doesn't fall out. So your hair gets really long. Did you know that?
1: Yeah. There's like some hormone that like makes your hair like get like very thick and lustrous. Um, But then that hormone subsides after you give birth and then all your hair falls out. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I have a friend who she was showing me this, like her hair and she has just this stuff in the front that sticks straight out because her hair (laughs) broke off. (laughs) Oh no. But the rest of her hair is so long.
1: Oh my gosh. I feel like pregnancy and like birth is like so horrific already and as i was watching this movie i was like you know being pregnant is already so scary right like for rosemary yeah. she's just like worried about her baby all the time like if her baby's right. healthy or not like she can't sleep she's sick all the time she like loses so much weight um she looks horrific like mia farrow losing weight is not a good idea <laughs> she's yeah tiny. yeah so like let alone all of these satanic cult stuff happening around her like just being pregnant seems tough and the pregnancy is like only the start of her troubles she's just going to be
0: gaslit and gaslit and gaslit
1: yes and the it like makes me so angry it makes I me get angry so angry watching this movie angry and we're probably the most angry at the same person I'm willing to bet, which is her husband. Husband, yeah. Yeah. What the fuck, man? <laughs> He's supposed to love her. He's supposed He's to love supposed her to protect and her and care for her. Yeah. And he it makes me so mad. He just offers his wife up to this cult to advance his career. I I mean, yeah,
0: every time something happens in this movie that is f- along that thread. I my, my blood boils like I get like this like rage and I want to like get up and like shake her and like get out of here you know like <laughs> stop dealing with this guy and I want to like punch him I just get so angry when I, I watch this movie it's infuriating it's so reflective of the time period it's I mean it's I'm sure that's why you know the metaphor is um the parallels to like the 60s and and marriage um the way women were sort of viewed as Mm -hmm. honestly
1: kind of like property still she has no autonomy uh there's i i mean as we mentioned like this is the the double-edged sword of being a housewife in the 60s is like she is progressively isolated because she's not leaving her house she's staying at home um if she is talking to a doctor the doctor's gonna call her husband and like talk to her husband about what's going on it's like everyone is more interested in making sure their like marriage stays together than they are about keeping rosemary like healthy and safe it's really sad to watch the gaslighting really starts when that stupid chocolate mousse <laughs> the chocolate mousse oh my gosh they're supposed to have a date night she's like you know let's just have a date night the two of us let's not invite our weird neighbors, the Casavets, over, like just the two of us. And the Casavets stop by anyway, but they just drop off. Of course off the they sp- do. Of course they do. They're so freaking nosy. God, I hate them. That's another,
0: <laughs> that's another <laughs> group of people I hate in this movie. They're all horrible. I, I would be in so much trouble with Zach, my husband, if I made dinner plans with these people.
1: <laughs> he would not have it they just get their claws in and then never let up like yeah they're just like even if they weren't part of a cult they're not people you'd want to be friends with they're just so over overbearing and up in your business all the time Minnie comes over and is like
0: poking at her mail and asks her questions about like what she's doing all the time and if they're having babies, she's so familiar with them. Way too nosy, them.
1: way too nosy. And yeah. I can sympathize with Rosemary wanting to be polite. And like, I, right. I I know how this goes, right? is like, you're like, well, I'm just trying to be polite because they're our right. neighbors. Like, we're going to have to live next to them forever. Like, we share a yeah. wall with them. Like, But she, like, loses patience with them way faster than... Um, than Guy does for what we learn as obvious reasons. <laughs> so the first
0: time they go over to meet uh the Castevets, did I say that right? The Castavets? Ca- Casavets. That's their yeah. fucking name. All right. I just call them annoying neighbors, mostly in my notes. Um, they go over and we have the the traditional men in the smoking room and women in the kitchen um experience. And when, when Rosemary comes back out with Minnie You see that Roman is kind of like leaning in his chair with Guy, uh, her husband, and you know that Roman has gotten Guy's ear. Like you don't, the first time you watch this, you don't understand what's gone on in this scene, but when you come back and watch it again, you're like, oh, this is the scene where it's all over because Roman has convinced Guy to sacrifice basically his domestic life for eternal riches, I guess. Fame and fortune. And, uh, yeah. And so that's why they start bringing over treats and this chocolate mousse uh that's been like laced with something so that they can begin the rituals and gaslighting to get Rosemary to do their bidding with her womb.
1: It's horrible. Like he is so insistent about her eating this chocolate mousse and she's like yeah it's it's fine like I don't want to eat that much and he's like getting angry at her and it's supposed to be a, a date night like and so she you know is like spooning the the chocolate mousse into a, her napkin so she doesn't have to like eat it like a child it. yeah yeah it's just like it's just messy and I mean, of course, immediately after she is knocked out, even from the, like, small little bites that she had, she she totally passes out. And basic, I
0: mean, this is the scene where we watch a husband allow basically strangers. I mean, they're their neighbors, but still, uh, drug her and rape her. He just allows this to happen. And he's
1: like, there's no undertaste just eat it yeah he's so fucking mean about it he's forcing it on her and there's so much like tension and concern in him and i it it's so sickening to know that he's pushing this because the ritual is slated for that night right
0: and she as she's falling unconscious he continues guilting her he does not let up on this poor woman He's like, oh, you had too much to drink, I guess. It's it's your fault. I
1: guess we're not going to make a baby, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he has like, learned her cycle so that they could plan this ritual, right? Like, It's just so creepy that he's willing to just sacrifice his wife for this. And then he uses being drunk as an excuse to rape her.
0: I mean, he doesn't actually, he's not the person that rapes her, but he has to pretend he's the one that rapes her. So rather than saying something like, oh, you you actually got got up and seemed into it or, you know, he doesn't make up some lie about thinking it would have been okay, which I feel like any normal person would have done right to try to try to not look like a jerk. Yeah, he's he's okay looking like a jerk. He was like, I needed to. He's like, I just wanted... I didn't want to miss baby night, you know. And and spousal rape did not become a thing in New York until, I think, the 70s. I forget when, but it was definitely
1: still... You could rape your spouse in New York at that time. I think that there are so many things in this movie that take me aback because I feel like it's... When you think of the 60s, you think of it as this very kind of, like, prim and proper time. And then when you watch this movie... Rosemary wakes up after the ritual and her guy has told her that he um you know raped her and she says like I dreamed I was being raped last night like and she says like I dreamed I was raped last night and she uses the word like she's not like I just had these weird dreams like she's not shying around it yeah. she's saying it and so he's then kind of forced to be like yeah I I did that and then she counters it to say that like you didn't have to do that. She's like, you could have waited until this morning or like later. Right. And, he, and he just like keeps blowing her off. But I like that she's willing to talk about it. She's not just like demure about it. She she'll say like this This is wrong." It's it's the really her
0: inner strength showing, mm-hmm. and they slowly chip away at it or try to. Um, they really do work on her this entire
1: movie. Yeah, they keep on like trying to pull away her resilience and I was thinking as I was watching this movie what would it have been like if they had just told her from the beginning like who they were and what their goals were and like what would she have done like would she have been a willing participant like I don't I don't think so but I I, don't think so but like she's so resistant to all of the things that they're doing because they're not letting her in on the secret. And so I wonder like if she wasn't on the secret and they had like told her about it and then worked on her, how would they, how would she have, would she have ever come around? Um, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to jump too far like ahead of myself here, but like, cause she, at the end she gives birth and they tell her it's a stillborn and I'm like, what would it have been like if they had just told her like what had happened to her, and then just let her have her baby from birth, right? They t- they mention a little bit about her
0: Catholicism yes. in the movie, so I can't imagine she would have been okay with a satanic ritual going on inside of her body. But I'm trying to think. I'm not I'm not clever enough, which is why I'm not a writer like you, Kate. But uh, I'm trying to think of a scenario they could have come up with where, hey, we're going to do this thing and it's going to result in your success, I guess. Uh, And don't worry about it. Like, Like somehow, some way to bring her in without telling her it's a satanic ritual. And I'm struggling to come up with a scenario where they could have bent the truth so that it would have made sense maybe maybe you have a good idea in mind i don't even I know certainly
1: don't. i don't even know if it's feasible it was something i was just thinking about because i mean this yeah. mo- this movie hinges on gaslighting her Right. Um, as soon as she gets pregnant they immediately move her to a different doctor like, they're like, you don't like, yeah, your friend recommended Dr. Hill to you. Well, Dr. Hill's a quack, and we're taking you to Dr. Saperstein. <laughs> don't read any books. Don't listen yes. to your friends.
0: Just listen to me. That's what he yes. tells her. And I'm like, that sounds like a cult. It you does sound like you're a cult
1: ringleader. Yes. I, I think that, like, man, I was thinking about, like, with a modern lens, I know doctors hate when patients. Google right when like someone shows up and they're like well I read on this message board from 2007 that like my babies park koalas so like what are we going to do about it like whatever (laughs) like you know and the doctors are always like what like no please do not Google things for yourself I think that like it's light gaslighting in a way where she's probably like, oh, sure. Like, he doesn't want me to over-worry myself. And, like, I'm just a fragile little woman with a little woman's brain. So, like, I don't want to confuse myself.
0: And that's something most women are used to. So I can see yeah. her brushing that kind of thing aside. Yeah. Until it gets worse. Then it gets it's worse. Like, uh, <laughs> I think I need to listen to someone else.
1: They're so good at it. They're so good at just... Increment by increment, isolating her and making her distrust herself. He poo poos ectopic pregnancy. As a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, that's Which not
0: a thing. That was crazy. Yeah. right. Ar-
1: like right around this time, like after she's like being pushed to go to Dr. Saperstein is when she cuts her hair. And I was just so mad about how rude everyone was about her hair. Oh, they were so mean. Her husband says, that's the worst mistake you've
0: ever made.
1: Says the man who made a deal with the devil. <laughs>
0: Like he has any room to talk, <laughs> and he also takes that moment. He's so mean to her right here. He takes that moment to make fun of Hutch, to make. Uh, and we haven't brought up Hutch yet. Hutch is their old landlord who is still very friendly and kind to Rosemary, um, mm-hmm. and and sympathizes with her and and kind of gives her some moral support throughout the movie. He's her only friend now, and and now her husband Guy is making fun of Hutch. Because he's her only friend,
1: <laughs> he's just so mean. Someone that that he used to like too, like they used to do things yeah. with Hutch, and they were so friendly. And Hutch, because he's an external party, he's so concerned, right? She it gets so sick um, during the the early part of her pregnancy they're feeding her this like health smoothie they tell her not to take oh, yeah. vitamins they're like don't take vitamins just drink this weird gross smoothie and she's just gaunt and horrific looking she's got pain in her joints in her abdomen
0: she's got dark circles she looks they tell terrible. her like this is normal
1: this is normal I, I kept thinking to myself this movie is actually a comedy because it's so like darkly funny in like so many of the scenes. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> yeah, and she's a uh, she's talking to someone about the like the pain, the pain that she's experiencing and she's like, "Oh, haven't you heard? It's going to go away in 2 days." Because she's been experiencing
0: yes. it for months at this point. She had it. She's like sassy and I love her she sass. She gets so like acidic, yeah. She gets another good sass moment. Because she decides that she wants to throw a party, a a New Year's party. Mm. And she's like, you can't invite over or Minnie and uh, Roman can't come over because uh, there's an age limit. (laughs) Because all her friends at this point are like 60 and over, right? It's just her neighbors and their friends that come over all the time uninvited.
1: And Mia Farrow in this movie is only 23 years old. She, she is young. They don't say how old Guy Tiny, and yeah. Rosemary are. Um, but, Ro- I mean, Rosemary looks like she's 23. And then Guy's response to that is like, oh, I just barely made the cutoff. And I was like, how old is Guy? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, they look like they have a
0: pretty big age difference. And that's sort of funny because she was married to Frank Sinatra at the time.
1: And they had a very big age difference. He was 30 years older than her. That'd be like if I went and met a baby, and I was like, "You look hot. <laughs> I'm gonna marry you in 20 years." <laughs> Gross. And actually, did you know that the two of
0: them basically got divorced over the production of this movie?
1: I did not. That's yeah, not altogether surprising. I guess they had a ve- I knew yeah. that they had a very short marriage. I knew that they were only married for like a year and a half or two years or something like yeah. that. Yeah, they got married like
0: not long before this movie was went into production and the production went long and he was working on a movie at the same time called The Detective and was kind of like hey you need to come back home and be with me and it's me or the
1: movie and she chose the movie and he so he sent her divorce papers good for her like way to call his bluff and like move on to bigger and worse things. I mean, she married Woody Allen. I know. But this (laughs) movie did kick ass at the box
0: office, uh, especially relative to his, which I thought was nice.
1: I mean, I think it was worth it. I think it was worth a divorce, Mia Farrow. Definitely. But anyway,
0: so we have her New Year's party and Rosemary finally gets um, some non gaslighting advice from her real friends.
1: Within like five seconds of being alone with her friends, she breaks down. She's just like sobbing and she's in pain and they have this beautiful little mid somar mo- moment where they're yeah. all like surrounding her and comforting her. And they're like, Guy, you can't come in
0: here. Like, get out. We are taking care of your wife for a minute. And she, they're all like, Yeah, you shouldn't feel like this. This is not normal. You need to stop going to Saperstein. You need to go anywhere else, right? Like, anyone else besides Saperstein would be good at this point.
1: And this is why you need friends. Yes, girl power. You need people to support you and to give you an outside perspective like i think that the most effective abuse tactic that they have against rosemary is isolating her because when she talks to other people they can tell that there's something wrong and they try and get her help. I mean, Hutch is worried for her. Her friends are very worried for her. Even when she does go back to Dr. Hill and like at first she's talking to him about her concerns, he seems very concerned for her where he's like, we're going to get you a bed tonight. Like we will get you Mm -hmm. help today. But when she's in this isolated community of just her husband and her neighbors and their extended friend group – They're telling her that she is overreacting. She's paranoid. She doesn't know what's happening to her own body. This is a normal pregnancy.
0: But, you know, I think that moment at the party, that's like her one chance that she has to get out, to, to get away from these people. And it's really unfortunate because... At the end of that party, she's like, she realizes that the baby is alive. She hasn't felt the baby move, I think, this whole movie yet. And she's hurt and sickly and also doesn't even really have her baby for comfort. And this Mm -hmm. is finally when her baby kicks in and she's like, oh, I am fine. And it's over again for her. I It sucks. I
1: know. I was like, was this the devil's intervention was this was this like the devil being like we need to have her bond with this baby because she she's gonna she's gonna go take care of it otherwise yeah and oh my god the line that i
0: i didn't call out yet but it's happened uh, by this point in the movie right here she's threatening to go to a different doctor to guy and he says it's not
1: fair to saperstein (sighs) he's throwing literally anything against the wall to see if it sticks. Like he's like, oh, we're going to have to pay more for it. Like, yeah, like he like is going through all these things and she's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then he yeah, when he says it's not fair to Saberstein and then she comes back, she's like, Saberstein, what about me? I was like, you tell him, girlfriend, like it is not fair to you. He's putting literally everyone else before you right now. I mean she's basically not his
0: wife at this point I mean he doesn't care for her it's really obvious right here that he doesn't care for her she's a means to an end it's so funny because she even that's when you know when she feels the baby she's like feel it feel it and he doesn't want to go anywhere near it because
1: he knows what it is yeah it's like he is reaping all of the benefits the horrific benefits his like lead competition like is blinded in an accident so that he gets all like these good roles now it's horrible
0: and I always thought it was a little odd that you know she felt it moving finally but she had been faking taking her drinks Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: that had been going on for like three days um, or so and I was kind of like well if if you stop taking the shakes and that's when the kid you know woke up I'd probably stop taking the shakes. still. <laughs> like, yeah. I
1: probably would still not drink the drinks. I would stop altogether as well. But I think that in Rosemary's mind, she's not thinking of yeah. the drink baby connection. She was just like, right. oh, my baby is back. And so I can I can be happy again. And that's where she, she goes into like nesting mode where she starts setting up the nursery and doing all like stuff around the house yeah yeah she goes back to looking cute and drinking
0: her damn drinks she does (laughs) yeah so it's kind of like a slow roll to the end I shouldn't say slow roll quick roll it's pretty fast still
1: some gaslighting that uh that we get to see we see we see this like as a big moment when Hutch who has been in a coma from an accident um definitely orchestrated by the Cassavets right he sends her a coded message after he dies like he sends her that book All Them Witches which I was like oh how cool is that how cool is that All Them Witches <laughs> I know he sends this message about the Cassavets you know and the connection to Stephen Marcato, which oh my god this movie is so dense i feel like we're just scratching the surface of it oh i know and i mean part of like this lore in this movie is that the building that they're moving into has all of this occult history with these what two they're these two children who like 88 were cannibals or something and then there's like Stephen marcato who is like this occult like, devil worshiper, um, mm-hmm. or, like, his father was. So, yeah, that's, like, totally part of it that we have not even gotten into. I know. She gets this message,
0: I forget what exactly the message is, but it basically prompts her to unscramble the letters, Stephen Marcato, or rearrange them to make something else. And what it ends up spelling out is Roman Castavet. Mm -hmm. At this point in the movie, you know, she she should just leave. I'm kind of like yelling at her, you know, from the couch, like, go stay with a friend. (laughs) Get away. But she goes to the doctor. She goes to the doctor to tell him about all of this conspiracy stuff. She does. I'm watching her and I'm like, I know you're right, but you you look and sound like a lunatic. Nobody's going to take you seriously.
1: She does the right thing by going to a doctor who would be able to treat her lunacy. But the problem is, is that she's right. Like, she's right. Right. <laughs> and Saperstein just tells her like, oh, you know, Roman is dying. He only has a few months to live. So cut him some slack. Like... And it's like, what? This guy is so spry. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah. So he's gaslighting her. She finally goes to a library. (laughs) I'm like, why did it take you so long (laughs) to like wise up here and go investigate this stuff? You know, she's like, she calls the blind man to see how he's doing. Everything's too late now by the time she figures out what's going on with her uh, situation. And oh my God, when she goes to the to the hospital to see dr hill mm-hmm. I, is it no it's not dr hill it's dr Saper, saperstein she smells that tannis smell and yes. that's when her whole world just collapses around her she realizes it, yeah what's been going on to her
1: this tannis root is this little thread like through the the movie right where the original girl that the Cassavets tried to Pull this trick off on um was wearing the Tannis root necklace. There's potentially Tannis in the drinks that they're giving her. um And then they realize that that Saberstein's wearing this Tannis root. And that's something that Hutch is trying to communicate to her mm-hmm. posthumously, right? In the book, right? Is like underlining that it's like the devil's mold or something like that. it's right. like an- another name for Tannis root. It's not a real thing. I looked it up. <laughs> I looked it up too. It's only Rosemary's Baby references. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and even it's so sad because even her baby's basically in on it at this point. Her baby, yeah, everyone is working against her.
1: Yeah, it's just game over at this point. And this is when she goes to Dr. Hill finally. She's like, I can't trust Saberstein. He's also part of this cabal, right? And so she goes to Hill and she tells him about the ritual and the plot against the baby. And as she's describing this, he's like, We need to get you help. Like, we will get you somewhere safe. We'll get you a bed in the hospital tonight and take care of you. And then she says that she's been seeing Saberstein. And he pauses and he goes, You've been seeing Saberstein. For me, that was like it's a over. it's done. Like, everyone, everyone is involved. Like, because then, of course, he goes and he calls Guy and Saberstein.
0: Yeah, because Saberstein isn't actually a bad doctor. He's a legit doctor. Lots of women have gone to him and had normal pregnancies. So this makes him a really powerful ally for the devil worshippers because he Mm -hmm. is taken seriously as a doctor. And when Hill, you know, Hill knows who he is. And so he's like, well, she must be crazy because... I know Saperstein, and he wouldn't do this. So he calls Saperstein and the husband, of course, because the husband needs to take care of his wife, and
1: she, she's out of her mind, clearly, not taken seriously. So It's, it's this conspiracy that hinges on not believing women. And so the, the cultists are able to pull it off because they have members in the community who are respected men. There's respected men in their community who are able to be believed more than Rosemary's lived experience is able to be believed. It's so relatable. Going back to our hashtag movements,
0: it's it's such a relatable parallel. Yes. So now she's being carted off home under, oh my God, and the music they play here is so good. Everything is just like, her whole world just seems very topsy-turvy and she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to do. I'm a prisoner. Like... She Mm -hmm. looks like a dead person being marched, or I guess like a person being marched to their death. And so she just looks dead inside. Yeah. As they do this, they
1: like take her into the house, they put her in the bed. But she escapes for a minute, (laughs) which
0: I do like. Yeah. I like that she has like one last stand against them. But they come out through that closet. And kidnap her. They do. They uh, they bust through that that closet that was originally blocked off by the previous tenant, and now we kind of understand why <laughs> it was blocked off. It's basically like a like a secret passage through to the it.
1: There's a really amazing mind meld moment that both you and I had in our notes, where I said she has a feral look on her face, and you said that um she that you would be a feral animal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we both use if this the happened, word feral. we both use the word feral. Yep. She is. She's so feral and I'm like that's all you can do. Like that is like a fox caught in a trap like moment for her. There there's nothing
1: left to do but try to scratch out their eyes. <laughs> it seems like she's just like looking for survival for herself and her baby. And it just guts me to know that she doesn't even know what she's carrying. Yeah. This is basically another rape scene, honestly. Mm -hmm. They drug her. Yeah. They drug her and she ends up missing the whole birth because they've just, and it's so sad. Like I know that you, you hear about that, right? Like that's very mad men of just like, Oh yeah, we're just going to like dope you up and knock you out and get this baby out of you. And then you wake up and it's there. She has the experience of waking up and they tell her that it's dead. And she never gets to see it. They don't even show her. I mean,
0: of course they can't. They couldn't. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be able to show her because if it had died anyway, it would have been a monster. But there's no evidence of this. I mean, it just feels like more gaslighting, which now she's aware of that she's been gaslit this whole movie. Even if she never hears the baby crying through the wall, I feel like that excuse would never stand.
1: Absolutely not. This scene is just a masterclass in back to back the worst possible thing that they could have done to her. Like they tell her it's dead in the most callous way that they possibly could. And then the doctor says, you can try to start on another in a few months. Like, just, they're just like, move on. Just move on. Don't even think about it. So
0: inhumane to her. They they don't give a shit how she feels, like how, how this has affected her. I know. And her husband is horrible still. He's the worst. Yeah. I was starting to say this, but, you know, when she was back in uh, Saberstein's office waiting to see him, you know, her looking around and seeing all these happy, healthy pregnant women must have just been so maddening for her. She, you would feel
1: like there was something wrong with you. You'd be right. like, how are all of these other women having good pregnancies and I'm suffering? Like, what am I doing wrong? And now it's culminated
0: into this. So she eventually hears a baby crying through
1: her wall. And that's when she realizes they have the baby. She, yeah, she hears a baby crying and she asks her husband. She was like, hey, those new people who moved in, like, do they have a baby? And he's like, yeah, how do you know? She's like, I could hear it crying. and. They're stealing her breast milk. Like, and she's like, she gets this like pointed, like canny look on her face when she's like realized, like, cause she, she feels like she's in the know and she's like, now trying to catch them out. Like, she's like, I know you've done something to me and I know you have my baby and now I just need to catch you in the act. She sneaks in through, she, she goes over to the Castavets, right? Through that wall.
0: Yeah. She, and- she
1: sneaks through. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the scene of all of them like basically everyone we've ever seen in this movie except for her friends, right? Like is in this <laughs> yeah. room including her husband, like the doctors there, and like everyone's there. Laura Louise, who is together. like the worst woman. Screams when she sees Rosemary cuz Rosemary came in with a knife. I hate this woman. I hate her <laughs> this too. Woman She's horrible. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. Good actress, but terrible character. <laughs> and we see the most metal bassinet we've ever seen in our lives. It is so cool. It's like, it's just black so, so gothic. And huge. And, yeah. It's huge. It's a huge. It's huge. It's composing
0: for a baby. I mean, it's the son of the devil, I guess, needs some uh,
1: pageantry. She realizes that he's there and she goes to go look at him. And Laura Louise is like trying to like rock this baby and she's like rocking it like super fast. And Rosemary so fast. is like, Rosemary is like, stop it. Like, he doesn't like it. And she comes over and she's like, What's wrong with his eyes? What did you do to him? It's so classic. It's so good. I love that they don't show us the baby. Me too. I'm so glad that they don't show us. I mean, there's like a little part of me that was a little bit disappointed that they even showed Mm -hmm. us as much as they did of the devil earlier in the rape Mm -hmm. scene. But Mm -hmm. I do. It kind of looks like a goat. Yeah. Goat beast. Inhuman. Very inhuman. But I'm okay with it because they didn't give us all of it, just enough for us to know that it was real and ho- and Bad. inhuman um but the baby I'm glad because they they like crow in the background they're like he has his father's eyes <laughs> she's like oh how creepy Ugh, gross <laughs> <laughs> and they're so happy
0: about it I think it's so funny when she passes by Roman and he's like saying something at her it's either him or Minnie I forget and she goes shut up you're in Dubrovnik I can't hear you <laughs> because They were supposed to be on a trip. They were, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they lied to her, of course, because that's what everyone does in this movie. And so she's like, I can't hear you. You're not really here. You're not supposed to be here. I
1: know. So funny. funny. She she like
0: she keeps her little zingers. Like she has a lot of feistiness in her now that she knows all this information and she's like, it's over. I know exactly what happened. I know what's going on with my baby. Like, there's nothing else they can do to her at this point. They could kill her, I guess, but it doesn't seem like she's very phased by that possibility anymore.
1: I kind of hate that Roman is capitalizing on her instability to try and convince her to mother this baby. Like, she wants a baby, and, like, she bore that baby for nine months, right? She cared about it and wanted it, and the baby's half hers, right? Like... So I think that he's like, you know, you are his mother after all. Like, you could take care of him. I, again, I'm not a parent. I can't imagine
0: wanting to have a little hairy monster baby of my very own. I feel like I'd be like, oh, yeah, Saperstein is right. I can start
1: again in a few months. (laughs) (laughs) If I saw that thing. You don't want to breastfeed the Antichrist?
0: No, gross. (laughs) And does she does she spit on her husband or slap him? I can't remember which. She spits on him. Nice. Yeah, yeah she spits on him. That's the right him. move.
1: Yeah, for yeah. sure. Fuck him. I hope she leaves him. I hope she leaves him too. I think that she must. Like she but must. I think that if she leaves him, she won't be able to parent that baby. Like I think that it's either right. she takes she stays and takes care of the baby and becomes part of the cult or she leaves and she has to leave the baby behind. I don't think that there is a way for her to get the baby. I don't even know if she would want the baby if she was going to leave. I imagine what's going through her head at this point are all of our thoughts that
0: we're having right now. And she doesn't really know what to do. So she might as well just rock the baby because it's what she's been wanting to do this whole goddamn movie. <laughs> Somebody needs to let
1: her. I know. She just, she just wanted to be a mom. So sad. So sad. I do want to get into detail on the ritual of this movie. Yes, let's do that. There were all of these, like, kind of dream sequences in the movie that start with the beginning of this ritual after she's drugged. The
0: dream sequences in this movie, I think, are so cool. And they feel like real dreams, because yes, yes the locations are constantly shifting you can sort of hear voices in the background and they they warble in and out like the the alignment of the dubbing is is off in some points it's just very much like a real dream where you know things aren't really linear things just mm-hmm. sort of happen and you rem- remember them in spurts yep um and she's she's kind of like having her dream having these these mixes of like memories that she's had along with the ritual that she's hearing because she hasn't she hasn't been fully drugged Mm -hmm. she can still hear what's going on
1: and that's how she knows she was raped yeah this like intrusion of reality into this dream space where she's seeing you know roman or she's you know she's seeing her husband like and then they're telling her, like, no, Hutch can't come with. Like, it, it's so, so well executed in terms of the dream. And it starts to overlap with reality more and more as she's coming out of the drugged state. And that's where she realizes, you know, that she's been led into this ritual chamber that has already been prepped, surrounded by naked people ch- chanting. Naked old people. It's very hereditary,
0: right? <laughs> it is, yeah. Her legs are tied down. There is this, like, gross demon all over her body. Like, you can see his hands. They they do some painting on her body, presumably with blood.
1: There's a very short moment when Guy says, like, I think she's awake. And Minnie's like, yes. She's dead to the world. Like, don't worry about it. Because he because she assumed that she ate all the moose and she's like if she ate the moose then she's dead to the world i mean which is a funny thing to say because essentially that is how they
0: treat her the rest of the movie she is dead to the world like Mm -hmm. she doesn't matter all that matters uh is what's inside of her to them and that's how they treat her yeah she's a vessel yeah and i think the ritual is is (sighs) i guess we could say it starts with the moose the drug the tannis root Mm -hmm. whatever it is that's in there um it's, it's the painting of the mm-hmm. blood, it's the chanting, mm-hmm. and it's the rape. The rape is the climax of the, for lack of a better word, of the ritual. It's timed perfectly. And She has that great line. Oh,
1: yeah. It's, this isn't a dream. This is actually happening, or this is really happening. It's so, like, <gasps> shocking.
0: I, I, I'm thinking that she must have said that out loud, and that guy would have heard that.
1: Yeah, which is why they, like, cover her. They, like, cover her face after that happens. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So then they realize that she must have woken up. And I think that that's why Guy is, like, prepared in the morning to, like, answer some questions. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. If you really love somebody and you
1: see that happening to them, you won't let that happen. Yeah. There's no way he actually loves her. It's... It's really hard. It's really hard to watch. And they they have timed the rape and the ritual perfectly so that she will give birth to the baby in June of 1966. So 666, right. of course, right? And we we get some of these like hints of Satanism throughout the movie that ramp up, of course. But during the New Year's party with all of the, the Satanists, They say, you know, to 1966, to year one, so they know. They know that it's, like, perfectly tuned to what they're looking for. I would say this was a successful ritual. (laughs) I would, too, for better and worse for poor Rosemary. I mean, she has the baby, and the baby is the Antichrist. That's that. I think that the, the end of the movie where she it's just kind of listless in bed and they're having her express breast milk and she's just so like wan like and still like sad in bed and oh my god her husband says to her that she really had the prepartum crazies there oh that's right i forgot to write that one down i was Oof. like stab <laughs> him with your spoon like just <laughs> he's the worst (laughs) rid of this guy it's the absolute worst oh man there's like so much like I was trying to take notes of all of their like you know the satanism things that they're going on about and there's not a lot of death actual death in this movie which is why we kind of skipped the kill count because it's not really the point of the movie. It's actually the opposite. The point is a birth. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie about life. <laughs> it's a movie about giving life. <laughs> yeah. The first person who does die is the. I think she's nameless, right? Yes, she's nameless. And it's just the old woman who was in the apartment prior to the Woodhouses moving in. There's not necessarily much Satanism associated with her, except that. Rosemary finds this note that was left behind that says, "I can no longer associate myself."
0: Yeah, I I think her death is important, even though it's not on screen, because it shows us that they've been trying to do things to their neighbors for a really long time. And I can't, you know, she was an old lady, so they probably weren't trying to do this ritual. They probably were trying to make her. I, I'm assuming. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I haven't read the book. <laughs> That they were trying to make her go insane and kill herself so that they could get somebody in the apartment who was able to have a baby.
1: Yeah, I think that they were – yeah, I think it's either that they were trying to push her out so that the apartment was open so that they could do their things. I mean, she dragged that huge hutch like in front of yeah. the the closet so she must have felt like they were – had access to her and – that line of I can no longer associate myself it just felt like foreshadowing for this like gaslighting that was happening to Rosemary, right? The like, I can't trust myself. I don't know who I am anymore.
0: But if you see that apartment that they're looking at, I wouldn't have let that stop me either. I would have moved into that apartment. No way. It's so cool. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's a really good apartment. <laughs> yeah. And the next death is also kind of, well, it's quick. It, it happens- pretty soon after they move in and it sets this whole movie in motion. Um it's Terry. Terry is this girl, probably about Rosemary's age, who's been living with the Castavets.
1: Yeah, she was originally wearing the good luck charm and Rosemary notices it when they're doing laundry together. It definitely kind of triggers Rosemary later because she when she's gifted the same good luck charm necklace from the Castavets, the conversation that rosemary has with terry in the laundry room just felt so coded. It was it was loaded with all of this kind of like double meaning, I felt, because she says that um the vets are childless, um and then she says that they wanted her for a sex thing. And I was like, "Man, so she's like like terry is picking up on this." And I was like, "Maybe they're grooming her or maybe she has like some idea of what's happening and that's why she ends up killing herself is because she she knows what's coming yeah it really seems
0: like they were planning on using her for the original ritual and then that didn't work out because she got wise too fast I also thought what was interesting about Terry's death um, she jumps out of a window and the cast of it's Kind of come upon the scene at the same time as the Woodhouses. M- Mia Farrow, Rosemary remembers that she had a brother. She mentioned to her that she had a brother in the Navy, but the Castevets kind of wave this off. They're like, we. She never mentioned a brother. And I always thought that was interesting. I never quite understood why that interaction happened, but I I had assumed they wanted somebody who had no family because that's the easiest way to deal with this, but. It seems odd to me that they wouldn't even be aware of the brother. Maybe she never told them.
1: I thought that maybe they knew that she had a brother, but they wanted to keep it Mm. quiet. Like like they didn't want her brother notified that she died because then maybe he would come and ask questions. And so it was like easier for them to just tell the cops in 1968 where they have like no means to like look people Mm -hmm. up to just say like, oh yeah, no, she was alone. She didn't have anyone because then that would just kind of Stop the investigation right there,
0: right? But Rosemary corrects this.
1: She does. Yeah, I think that Rosemary is like, but wait, like no, like she does have it, and it seemed it did seem to me like the the cast of us are trying to change the subject, mm-hmm. where they're like, well, yeah. she never told us that. Like they're just trying to like, right, cover it up.
0: I-, I mean, I guess the police wouldn't have caught that. Then it seems like they would have missed that in their report because nobody comes and follows up about the brother.
1: <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, I guess they uh, got their way. We did uh, briefly mention the last death, which was Hutch. Um, of Poor course, Hutch. Um, he was he was getting too close, so there was an accident that that he was in, or he got sick or something, and then that ended up ended up making him fall into a coma that he eventually died from. So it's really
0: nefarious what happens to him. Really awful. He comes over to visit Rosemary uh, because he's a good guy, mm-hmm. and. While he's over, Roman comes over to to check on her because the neighbors are always checking on her. They won't leave her alone. And so Roman meets Hutch and Hutch kind of eyes him up. And he's like, you can tell that Hutch realizes that there's something off about this guy. Um, When Hutch is leaving, he realizes one of his gloves is missing. And it's because Roman has taken it and has cast a spell on him. So he's, he's done some sort of ritual to where Hutch is going to be hurt or sick or maimed or whatever. And that's what prompts his coma. I see. That's so dark. <laughs> it's awful. She doesn't stand a chance. Like it's not, it's not a coincidence that he gets sick. People are actively trying to keep her isolated. And anybody that tries to help her is going to bear the
1: brunt of their vengeance. I don't know it's so insidious and just a complete takeover of her life and livelihood like she is just in this snare and there's not really any means for her to once she's pregnant it really feels like there's no way for her to get out of this like it's a wanted baby on her side and so like This baby is coming. (laughs) It's a wanted baby, and it's hard
0: to get away from your husband at that time. Like everything has a lot of things have to be done with your husband's approval. It's easy for me to go look back and be like, I would have gone somewhere else or done this. Um, I probably would have gone to a friend's house, but who knows if
1: they would have wanted to return her to her husband? You just you don't know. Because any of your friends at the time that you would have gone to would have had husbands of their own, and. Yeah. Those guys were the master of the house. And so they would have probably said, like, I'm going to call your husband and make him come get you because this is a marital problem for you guys to deal with yourselves. Right. Just no agency. That's the scariest part is, like, what happens when all of your agency is stripped from you? Yeah. That's what terrifies me the most about this movie.
0: Just putting myself in Rosemary's shoes. If anybody does that, I mean, it's a scary movie.
1: It's really scary. It's horrifying. It's, it's scary in that like creeping dread of no way out. It's not jump scares. It's not like gory or anything. It's it's a psychological nightmare.
0: So do you recommend this movie, Kate? Of
1: course I do. <laughs> of, course I do. of course I do. It's so good. Everyone should watch it. So many horror movies are influenced by this. I mean, our conception of like psychological horror I think is like really shaped by this movie you you have to watch it everyone needs to watch this movie I love this movie I I don't have a top three
0: list but now that I'm thinking about it this is definitely on that list there'd be no way that I wouldn't include this movie in my top three horror movies this is top three for me as well yeah I think it's number
1: two okay and I'm I'm still
0: thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) I also really like The Thing. You do, yeah. For totally different reasons, but I love this movie so much. And I love her character, and I love how it's such an everyday thing to be married and pregnant, and they turn it into such a horrifying predicament for this woman.
1: Nightmarish. So much to digest and talk about. I feel like we talked about all the major parts, but we could definitely go (laughs) for so much longer. (laughs) We could probably scrape this layer off and go another layer and have another episode.
0: (laughs) There's just too much.
1: We are going to share a lot of good links on the blog for this episode. This movie has generated so much controversy and discourse over the last 40 years. So there's interviews um, that we can share, lots of food for thought. So definitely go check it out. And We will catch you on our next episode. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram
0: at NotQuiteDeadPodcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast.
1: Follow our blog for bonus content at NotQuiteDeadPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.